Section 64 of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Stearns. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book 18, Chapter 7 through 9. Chapter 7 Continuation of the History. Mrs. Waters remaining a few moments silent, Mr. Allworthy could not refrain from saying, I am sorry, madam, to perceive, by what I have since heard, that you have made so very ill a use. Mr. Allworthy, says she, interrupting him, I know I have faults, but ingratitude to you is not one of them. I never can nor shall forget your goodness, which I own I have very little deserved, but be pleased to waive all upbraiding me at present, as I have so important an affair to communicate to you concerning this young man to whom you have given my maiden name of Jones. Have I then, said Allworthy, ignorantly punished an innocent man in the person of him who hath just left us? Was he not the father of the child? Indeed he was not, said Mrs. Waters. You may be pleased to remember, sir, I formerly told you you should one day know, and I acknowledge myself to have been guilty of a cruel neglect in not having discovered it to you before. Indeed, I little knew how necessary it was. Well, madam, said Allworthy, be pleased to proceed. You must remember, sir, said she, a young fellow whose name was Summer, very well, cries Allworthy. He was the son of a clergyman of great learning and virtue, for whom I had the greatest friendship. So it appeared, sir, answered she, for I believe you bred the young man up, and maintained him at the university, where, I think, he has finished his studies, when he came to reside at your house, a finer man, I must say, the son never shone upon, for, besides the handsomest person I ever saw, he was so genteel, and had so much wit and good breeding. Poor gentleman, said Alworthy, he was indeed untimely snatched away, and little did I think he had any sins of this kind to answer for, for I plainly perceive you are going to tell me he was the father of your child. Indeed, sir, answered she, he was not. How, said Alworthy, to what then tends all this preface to a story, said she, which I am concerned falls to my lot to unfold to you. Oh, sir, prepare to hear something which will grieve you. Speak, said Allworthy. I am conscious of no crime, and cannot be afraid to hear. Sir, said she, that Mr. Summer, the son of your friend, educated at your expense, who, after living a year in the house as if he had been your own son, died there of the smallpox, was tenderly lamented by you, and buried as if he had been your own. That Sumner, sir, was the father of this child. How, said Allworthy, you contradict yourself. That I do not, answered she. He was indeed the father of this child, but not by me. Take care, madam, said Allworthy. Do not, to shun the imputation of any crime, be guilty of falsehood. Remember, there is one from whom you can conceal nothing, and before whose tribunal falsehood will only aggravate your guilt. Indeed, sir, says she, I am not his mother, nor would I now think myself so for the world. 
"'I know your reason,' said Allworthy, "'and shall rejoice as much as you to find it otherwise. "'Yet you must remember you yourself confessed it before me.' "'So far what I confessed,' said she, "'was true, that these hands conveyed the infant to your bed, "'conveyed it thither at the command of its mother, "'at her commands, I afterwards owned it, "'and thought myself, by her generosity, nobly rewarded, both for my secrecy and my shame. "'Who could this woman be?' said Allworthy. "'Indeed, I tremble to name her,' answered Mrs. Waters. "'By all this preparation I am to guess that she was a relation of mine,' cried he. "'Indeed, she was a near one.' "'At which words?' Allworthy started, and she continued. "'You had a sister, sir.' "'A sister?' repeated he, looking aghast. "'As there is truth in heaven,' cries she, "'your sister was the mother of that child you found between your sheets.' "'Can it be possible?' cries he. "'Good heavens!' "'Have patience, sir,' said Mrs. Waters, "'and I will unfold to you the whole story. "'Just after your departure from London, "'Miss Bridget came one day to the house of my mother.' She was pleased to say she had heard an extraordinary character of me. For my learning and superior understanding to all the young women there, so she was pleased to say. She then bid me come to her to the great house, where, when I attended, she employed me to read to her. She expressed great satisfaction in my reading, shewed great kindness to me, and made me many presents. At last she began to catechize me, on the subject of secrecy, to which I gave her such satisfactory answers that, at last, having locked the door of her room, she took me into her closet, and then locking the door likewise, she said she should convince me of the vast reliance she had on my integrity, by communicating a secret in which her honour, and consequently her life, was concerned. She then stopped, and after a silence of a few minutes, during which she often wiped her eyes, she inquired of me, thought my mother might safely be confided in. I answered, I would stake my life on her fidelity. She then imparted to me the great secret which laboured in her breast, and which, I believe, was delivered with more pains than she afterwards suffered in childbirth. It was then contrived that my mother and myself only should attend at the time, and that Mrs. Wilkins should be sent out of the way as she accordingly was, to the very furthest part of Dorsetshire, to inquire the character of a servant, for the lady had turned away her own maid near three months before, during all which time I officiated about her person upon trial, as she said, though, as she afterwards declared, I was not sufficiently handy for the place. This, and many other such things which she used to say of me, were all thrown out to prevent any suspicion which Wilkins might hereafter have, when I was to own the child, for she thought it could never be believed she would venture to hurt a young woman with whom she had entrusted such a secret. You may be assured, sir, I was well paid for all these affronts, which, together with being informed of the occasion of them, very well contented me. Indeed, the lady had a greater suspicion of Mrs. Wilkins than of any other person, not that she had the least aversion to the gentlewoman, but she thought her incapable of keeping a secret, especially from you, sir, 
for I have often heard Miss Bridget say that if Mrs. Wilkins had committed a murder, she believed she would acquaint you with it. At last the expected day came, and Mrs. Wilkins, who had been kept a week in readiness, and put off from time to time, upon some pretense or other, that she might not return so soon, was dispatched. Then the child was born, in the presence only of myself and my mother, and was by my mother conveyed to her own house, where it was privately kept by her till the evening of your return, when I, by the command of Miss Bridget, conveyed it into the bed where you found it, and all suspicions were afterwards laid asleep by the artful conduct of your sister, in pretending ill-will to the boy, and that any regard she shewed him was out of mere complacence to you. Mrs. Waters then made many protestations of the truth of this story, and concluded by saying, Thus, sir, you have at last discovered your nephew, for so I am sure you will hereafter think him, and I question not but he will be both an honour and a comfort to you under that appellation. I need not, madam, said Allworthy, express my astonishment at what you have told me, and yet surely you would not, and could not, have put together so many circumstances to evidence an untruth. I confess I recollect some passages relating to that summer, which formerly gave me a conceit that my sister had some liking to him. I mentioned it to her, for I had such a regard to the young man, as well on his own account as on his father's, that I should willingly have consented to a match between them. But she expressed the highest disdain of my unkind suspicion, as she called it, so that I never spoke more on the subject. Good heavens! Well, the Lord disposeth all things. Yet sure it was a most unjustifiable conduct in my sister to carry the secret with her out of the world. I promise you, sir, said Mrs. Waters, she always professed a contrary intention, and frequently told me she intended one day to communicate it to you. She said, indeed, she was highly rejoiced that her plot had succeeded so well, and that you had, of your own accord, taken such a fancy to the child, that it was yet unnecessary to make any express declaration. Oh, sir, had that lady lived to have seen this poor young man turn like a vagabond from your house? Nay, sir, could she have lived to hear that you had yourself employed a lawyer to prosecute him for a murder of which he was not guilty? Forgive me, Mr. Allworthy, I must say it was unkind. Indeed, you have been abused. He never deserved it of you. Indeed, madam, said Allworthy, I have been abused by the person whoever he was, that told you so. Nay, sir, said she, I would not be mistaken. I did not presume to say you were guilty of any wrong. The gentleman who came to me proposed no such matter. He only said, taking me for Mr. Fitzpatrick's wife, that if Mr. Jones had murdered my husband, I should be assisted with any money I wanted to carry on the prosecution by a very worthy gentleman, who, he said, was well apprised what a villain I had to deal with. It was by this man I found out who Mr. Jones was, and this man, whose name was Dowling, Mr. Jones tells me, is your steward. I discovered his name by a very odd accident, for he himself refused to tell it me, but Partridge, who met him at my lodgings the second time he came, knew him formerly at Salisbury. And did this Mr. Dowling, said Allworthy, with great astonishment in his countenance, tell you that I would assist in the prosecution? No, sir, answered she, I will not charge him wrongfully. He said I should be assisted 
but he mentioned no name. Yet you must pardon me, sir, if from circumstances I thought it could be no other. Indeed, madam, said Allworthy, from circumstances I am too well convinced it was another. Good heaven, by what wonderful means is the blackest and deepest villainy sometimes discovered? Shall I beg you, madam, to stay till the person you have mentioned comes? For I expect him every minute. Nay, he may be, perhaps, already in the house. Allworthy then stepped to the door, in order to call a servant, when in came not Mr. Dowling, but the gentleman who will be seen in the next chapter. Chapter 8. Further Continuation The gentleman who now arrived was no other than Mr. Western. He no sooner saw Allworthy than, without considering in the least the presence of Mrs. Waters, he began to vociferate in the following manner. Fine doings at my house. A rare kettle of fish I have discovered at last. Who the devil would be plagued with a daughter? What's the matter, neighbor? said Allworthy. Matter enough, answered Western, when I thought she was just a-coming too. Nay, when she had in a manner promised me to do as I would ha her, and when I was a-hoped to have had nothing more to do than to have set for the lawyer and finished all. What do you think I have found out? That the little bee hath been playing tricks with me all the while, and carrying on a correspondence with that bastard of yours. Sister Western, whom I have quarrelled with upon her account, Set me word of it, and I ordered her pockets to be searched when she was asleep, and here I have got em, signed with the son of a whore's own name. I have not had patience to read half of it, for tis longer than one of Parson Supple's sermons. But I find plainly it is all about love, and indeed what should it be else? I have packed her up in chamber again, and to-morrow morning down she goes into the country, unless she consents to be married directly, and there she shall live in a garret upon bread and water all her days." and the sooner such a bee breaks her hearts, the better. Though, d-blank-n her, that I believe is too young. She will live long enough to plague me. Mr. Western, answered Allworthy, you know I have always protested against force, and you yourself consented that none should be used. I, cries he, that was only upon condition that she would consent without, what the devil, and Dr. Faustus? Shan't I do what I will with my own daughter, especially when I desire nothing but her own good? Well, neighbor, answered Allworthy, if you will give me leave, I will undertake once to argue with the young lady. Will you? said Western. Why, that is kind now, and neighborly, and mayhap you will do more than I have been able to do with her, for I promise you she hath a very good opinion of you. Well, sir, said Allworthy, if you will go home, and release the young lady from her captivity, I will wait upon her within this half-hour. But suppose, said Western, she should run away with un in the meantime, for lawyer Dowling tells me there is no hopes of hanging a fellow at last, for that the man is alive, and like to do well, and that he thinks Jones will be out of prison again presently. How, said Allworthy, what, did you employ him then to inquire or to do anything in that matter? Not I, answered Western. He mentioned it to me just now of his own accord. Just now, cries Allworthy. Why, where did you see him then? I want much to see Mr. Dowling. Why, you may see him, and you will presently at my lodgings. 
for there is to be a meeting of lawyers there this morning about a mortgage. I cod, I shall lose two or three thousand pounds, I believe, by that honest gentleman, Mr. Nightingale. Well, sir, said Allworthy, I will be with you within the half hour. And do for once, cries the squire, take a fool's advice. Never think of dealing with her by gentle methods. Take my word for it, those will never do. I have tried them long enough. She must be frightened into it. There is no other way. Tell her I'm her father, and of the horrid sin of disobedience, and of the dreadful punishment of it, in t'other world. And then tell her about being locked up all her life in a garret in this, and being kept only on bread and water. I will do all I can, said Allworthy, for I promise you there is nothing I wish for more than an alliance with this amiable creature. Nay, the girl is well enough for matter of that, cries the squire. A man may go farther, and meet with worse meat. That I may declare of her. Though if she be my own daughter, and if she will, but be obedient to me, there is narrow a father within a hundred miles of the place, that loves the daughter more than I do. But I see you are busy with the lady there, so I go home, and expect you, and so your humble servant. As soon as Mr. Western was gone, Mrs. Waters said, I see, sir, the squire hath not the least remembrance of my face. I believe, Mr. Allworthy, you would not have known me neither. I am very considerably altered since that day when you so kindly gave me that advice, which I had been happy had I followed. Indeed, madam, cries Allworthy, it gave me a great concern when I first heard the contrary. Indeed, sir, said she, I was ruined by a very deep scheme of villainy, which, if you knew, though I pretend not to think it would justify me, in your opinion, it would at least mitigate my offence, and induce you to pity me. You are not now at leisure to hear my whole story, but this I assure you, I was betrayed by the most solemn promises of marriage, nay, in the eye of heaven I was married to him. For after much reading on the subject I am convinced that particular ceremonies are only requisite to give a legal sanction of marriage, and have only a worldly use in giving a woman the privileges of a wife. But that she who lives constant to one man, after a solemn private affiance, whatever the world may call her, hath little to charge on her own conscience. I am sorry, madam, said Allworthy, you made so ill a use of your learning. Indeed, it would have been well that you had been possessed of much more, or had remained in a state of ignorance. And yet, madam, I am afraid you have more than this sin to answer for. During his life, answered she, which was above a dozen years, I most solemnly assured you I had not. And consider, sir, on my behalf, what is in the power of a woman, stripped of a reputation, and left destitute? Whether the good-natured world will suffer such a stray sheep to return to the road of virtue, even if she was never so desirous? I protest, then, I would have chosen it had it been in my power, but necessity drove me into the arms of Captain Waters, with whom, though still unmarried, I lived as a wife for many years, and went by his name. I parted with this gentleman at Worcester, on his march against the rebels, and it was then I accidentally met with Mr. Jones, who rescued me from the hands of a villain. Indeed, he is the worthiest of men. No young gentleman of his age is, I believe, freer from vice, and few have the twentieth part of his virtues. Nay, whatever vices he hath had, I am firmly persuaded he hath now taken a resolution to abandon them. 
"'I hope he hath,' cries Allworthy. "'And I hope he will preserve that resolution. "'I must say I have still the same hopes with regard to yourself. "'The world, I do agree, are apt to be too unmerciful on these occasions. "'Yet time and perseverance will get the better of their disinclination, "'as I may call it, to pity. "'For though they are not, like heaven, ready to receive a penitent sinner, "'yet a continued repentance will at length obtain mercy even with the world.' This you may be assured of, Mrs. Waters, that whenever I find you are sincere in such good intentions, you shall want no assistance in my power to make them effectual. Mrs. Waters fell now upon her knees before him, and in a flood of tears made him many most passionate acknowledgments of his goodness, which, as she truly said, savoured more of the divine than human nature. Allworthy raised her up and spoke in a most tender manner making use of every expression which his invention could suggest to comfort her, when he was interrupted by the arrival of Mr. Dowling, who, upon his first entrance, seeing Mrs. Waters, started, and appeared in some confusion, from which he soon recovered himself as well as he could, and then said he was in the utmost haste to attend counsel in Mr. Western's lodgings, but, however, thought it was his duty to call and acquaint him with the opinion of counsel upon the case which he had before told him, which was, that conversation of the monies in that case could not be questioned in a criminal cause, and that an action of, of Trover might be bought, and if it appeared to the jury to be monies of plaintiff, that plaintiff would recover a verdict for the value. Allworthy, without making any answer to this, bolted the door, and then, advancing with a stern look to Dowling, he said, "'Whatever be your haste, sir, I must first receive an answer to some questions. Do you know this lady? That lady, sir? answered Dowling, with great hesitation. Allworthy, then, with a most solemn voice, said, Look, you, Mr. Dowling, as you value my favour, or your continuance a moment longer in my service, do not hesitate nor prevaricate, but answer faithfully and truthfully to every question I ask. Do you know this lady? Yes, sir said Dowling, I have seen the lady. Where, sir? At her own lodgings. Upon what business did you go thither, sir, and who sent you? I went, sir, to inquire, sir, about Mr. Jones. And who sent you to inquire about him? Who, sir? Why, sir, Mr. Billfill sent me. And what did you say to the lady concerning that matter? Nay, sir, it is impossible to recollect every word. Will you please, madam, to assist the gentleman's memory? He told me, sir, said Mrs. Waters, that if Mr. Jones had murdered my husband, I should be assisted by any money I wanted to carry on the prosecution by a very worthy gentleman, who was well apprised what a villain I had to deal with. These I can safely swear were the very words he spoke. Were these the words, sir? said Allworthy. I cannot charge my memory exactly, cries Dowling, but I believe I did speak to that purpose. And did Mr. Billfill order you to say so? I am sure, sir, I should not have gone on my own accord, nor have willingly exceeded my authority in matters of this kind. If I said so, I must have so understood Mr. Billfill's instructions. Look you, Mr. Dowling, said Allworthy, I promised you before this lady that whatever you have done in this affair 
by Mr. Billfield's order, I will forgive, provided you now tell me strictly the truth. For I believe what you say, that you would not have acted of your own accord and without authority in this matter. Mr. Billfield then likewise sent you to examine the two fellows at Aldersgate? He did, sir. Well, and what instructions did he then give you? Recollect as well as you can, and tell me, as near as possible, the very words he used. Why, sir, Mr. Billfield sent me to find out the persons who were eyewitnesses of this fight. He said he feared they might be tampered with by Mr. Jones, or some of his friends. He said a blood required blood, and that not only all who concealed a murderer, but those who omitted anything in their power to bring him to justice, were sharers in his guilt. He said he found you was very desirous of having the villain brought to justice, though it was not proper you should appear in it. He did so, says Allworthy. Yes, sir, cries Dowling. I should not, I am sure, have proceeded such lengths for the sake of any other person living but for your worship. What length, sir? said Allworthy. Nay, sir, cries Dowling, I would not have your worship think I would, on any account, be guilty of subordination or of perjury. But there are two ways of delivering evidence. I told them, therefore, that if any offer should be made them on the other side, they should refuse them, and that they might be assured they should lose nothing by being honest men and telling the truth. I said we were told that Mr. Jones had assaulted the gentleman first, and that, if that was the truth, they should declare it, and I did not give them some hints that they should be no losers. I think you went lengths indeed, cries Allworthy. Nay, sir, answered Dowling. I am sure I did not desire them to tell an untruth, nor should I have said what I did unless it had been to oblige you. You would not have thought, I believe, says Allworthy, to have obliged me had you known that this Mr. Jones was my own nephew. I am sure, sir, answered he, it did not become me to take any notice of what I thought you desired to conceal. How, cries Allworthy, and did you know it then? Nay, sir, answered Dowling, if your worship bids me speak the truth, I am sure I shall do it. Indeed, sir, I did know it, for they were almost the last words which Madame Billful ever spoke, which she mentioned to me as I stood alone by her bedside, when she delivered me the letter I brought your worship from her. What letter, cries Allworthy? The letter, sir, answered Dowling, which I brought from Salisbury, and which I delivered into the hands of Mr. Billfield. Oh, heavens, cries Allworthy. Well, and what were the words? What did my sister say to you? She took me by the hand, answered he, and as she delivered me the letter, said, I scarce know what I have written. Tell my brother, Mr. Jones is his nephew. He is my son. Bless him, says she, and then fell backward as if dying away. I presently called in the people, and she never spoke more to me, and died within a few minutes afterwards. Allworthy stood a minute silent, lifting up his eyes, and then turning to Dowling, said, How came you, sir, not to deliver me this message? Your worship, answered he, must remember that you was at the time ill in bed, and being in a violent hurry, as indeed I always am, I delivered the letter and message to Mr. Billfill, who told me that he would carry them both to you, which he hath since told me he did, and that your worship, partly out of friendship to Mr. Jones, and partly out of regard to your sister, would never have it mentioned, and did intend to conceal it from the world, and therefore, sir, 
if you had not mentioned it to me first, I am certain I should never have thought it belonged to me to say anything of the matter, either to your worship or any other person. We have remarked somewhere already that it is possible for a man to convey a lie in the words of truth. This was the case at present, for Billfield had, in fact, told Dowling what he now related, but had not imposed upon him, nor indeed had imagined he was able so to do. In reality, the promises which Billfield had made to Dowling were the motives which had induced him to secrecy, and as he now very plainly saw Billfield could not be able to keep them, he thought proper now to make his confession, which the promises of forgiveness, joined to the threats, the voice, the looks of Allworthy, and the discoveries he had made before, extorted from him, who was besides taking unawares, and had no time to consider of evasions. Allworthy appeared well satisfied with this relation, and having enjoined on Dowling strict silence to what had passed, conducted that gentleman himself to the door, lest he should see Bilfil, who was returned to his chamber, where he exulted in the thoughts of his last deceit on his uncle, and little suspected what had since passed below stairs. As Allworthy was returning to his room, he met Mrs. Miller in the entry, who, with a face all pale and full of terror, said to him, "'Oh, sir, I find this wicked woman hath been with you, and you know all. Yet do not on this account abandon the poor young man. Consider, sir, he was ignorant it was his own mother, and the discovery itself will most probably break his heart without your unkindness.' Madam, says Allworthy, I am under such an astonishment at what I have heard that I am really unable to satisfy you. But come with me into my room. Indeed, Mrs. Miller, I have made surprising discoveries, and you shall soon know them. The poor woman followed him trembling, and now Allworthy, going up to Mrs. Waters, took her by the hand, and then returning to Mrs. Miller, said, What reward shall I bestow upon this gentlewoman for the services she hath done me? O oh, Mrs. Miller, you have a thousand times heard me call the young man, to whom you are so faithful a friend, my son. Little did I then think he was indeed related to me at all. Your friend, madam, is my nephew. He is the brother of that wicked viper, which I have so long nourished in my bosom. She will herself tell you the whole story, and how the youth came to pass for her son. Indeed, Mrs. Miller, I am convinced that he hath been wronged, and that I have been abused, abused by one whom you too justly suspected of being a villain. He is in truth the worst of villains. The joy which Mrs. Miller now felt bereft her of the power of speech, and might perhaps have deprived her of her senses, if not of life, had not a friendly shower of tears come seasonably to her relief. At length, recovering so far from her transport as to be able to speak, she cried, "'And is my dear Mr. Jones then your nephew, sir, and not the son of this lady? And are your eyes open to him at last?' and shall I live to see him as happy as he deserves? He certainly is my nephew, said Allworthy, and I hope all the rest. And is this the dear good woman, the person, cries she, to whom all this discovery is owing? She is indeed, said Allworthy. Why then, cried Mrs. Miller upon her knees, may heaven shower down its choicest blessings upon her head, and for this one good action forgive her all her sins, be they, ne be they never so many. Mrs. Waters then informed them that she believed Jones would very shortly be released, for that the surgeon was gone, in company with the nobleman, to the justice who committed him, in order to certify that Mr. Fitzpatrick was out of all manner of danger, and to procure his prisoner his liberty. Allworthy said he should be glad to find his nephew there at his return home, 
but that he was then obliged to go on some business of consequence. He then called to a servant to fetch him a chair, and presently left the two ladies together. Mr. Billfield, hearing the chair ordered, came downstairs to attend upon his uncle, for he never was deficient in such acts of duty. He asked his uncle if he was going out, which is a civil way of asking a man whither he was going. To which the other making no answer, he again desired to know when he would be pleased to return. Allworthy made no answer to this neither, till he was just going into his chair, and then turning about he said, Harkee, sir, do you find out, before my return, the letter which your mother sent me on her deathbed? Allworthy then departed, and left Billville in a situation to be envied only by a man who was just going to be hanged. Chapter 10. A Further Continuation Allworthy took an opportunity, whilst he was in the chair, of reading the letter from Jones to Sophia, which Western delivered him, and there were some expressions in it concerning himself, which drew tears from his eyes. At length he arrived at Mr. Western's, and was introduced to Sophia. When the first ceremonies were passed, and the gentleman and lady had taken their chairs, a silence of some minutes ensued during which the latter, who had been prepared for the visit by her father, sat playing with her fan, and had every mark of confusion both in her countenance and behaviour. At length Allworthy, who was himself a little disconcerted, began thus. I am afraid, Miss Western, my family hath been the occasion of giving you some uneasiness, to which I fear I have innocently become more instrumental than I intended. Be assured, madam, had I at first known how disagreeable the proposals had been, I should not have suffered you to be have been so longly persecuted. I hope, therefore, you will not think the design of this visit is to trouble you with any further solicitations of that kind, but entirely to relieve you from them. Sir, said Sophia, with a little modest hesitation, this behaviour is most kind and generous, and such as I could expect only from Mr. Allworthy. But as you have been so kind as to mention this matter, you will pardon me for saying it hath, indeed, given me great uneasiness, and hath been the occasion of my suffering, much cruel treatment from a father who was, till that unhappy affair, the tenderest and fondest of all parents. I am convinced, sir, you are too good and generous to resent my refusal of your nephew. Our inclinations are not in your own power, and whatever may be his merit, I cannot force them in his favour. I assure you, most amiable young lady, said Allworthy, I am capable of no such resentment. Had the person been my own son, and had I entertained the highest esteem for him, for you say truly, madam, we cannot force our inclinations, much less can they be directed by another. Oh, sir, answered Sophia, every word you speak proves you deserve the good, that good, that great, that benevolent character the whole world allows you. I assure you, sir, nothing less than the certain prospect of future misery could have made me resist the commands of my father. I sincerely believe you, madam replied Allworthy, and I heartily congratulate you on your prudent foresight, since by so justifiable a resistance you have avoided misery indeed. You speak now, Mr. Allworthy, cries she, with a delicacy which few men are capable of feeling, but surely, in my opinion, to lead our lives with one to whom we are indifferent must be a state of wretchedness. Perhaps that wretchedness would be even increased by the sense of the merits of an object to whom we cannot give our attentions. If I had married Mr. Billfill, pardon my interrupting you, madam, answered Allworthy, but I cannot bear the supposition. Believe me, Miss Western, I rejoice in my heart, I rejoice in your escape, 
I have discovered the wretch for whom you have suffered all this cruel violence from your father to be a villain. How, sir, cries Sophia, you must believe this surprises me. It hath surprised me, madam, answered Allworthy, and so it will the world. But I have acquainted you with the real truth. Nothing but truth, says Sophia, can, I am convinced, come from the lips of Mr. Allworthy. Yet, sir, such sudden, such unexpected news, discovered, you say, may villainy be ever so. You will soon enough hear the story, cries Allworthy. At present, let us not mention so detested a name. I have another matter of a very serious nature to propose. Oh, Miss Western, I know your vast worth, nor can I so easily part with the ambition of being allied to it. I have a near relation, madam, a young man whose character is, I am convinced, the very opposite to that of this wretch, and whose fortune I will make equal to what his was to have been. Could I, madam, hope you would admit a visit from him? Sophia, after a minute's silence, answered, I will deal with the utmost sincerity with Mr. Allworthy. His character and the obligation I have just received from him demand it. I have determined at present to listen to no such proposals from any person. My only desire is to be restored to the affection of my father, and to be again the mistress of his family. This, sir, I hope to owe to your good offices. Let me beseech you, let me conjure you, by all the goodness which I, and all who know you, have experienced, do not, the very moment when you have released me from one persecution, do not engage me in another as miserable and fruitless. Indeed, Miss Western, replied Allworthy, I am capable of no such conduct. And if this be your resolution, he must submit to the disappointment, whatever torments he may suffer under it. I must smile now, Mr. Allworthy, answered Sophia, when you mention the torments of a man whom I do not know, and who can consequently have so little acquaintance with me. Pardon me, dear young lady, cries Allworthy. I begin now to be afraid he hath had too much acquaintance for the repose of his future days, since, if ever man was capable of a sincere, violent and noble passion, such, I am convinced, is my unhappy nephew's for Miss Western. A nephew of yours, Mr. Allworthy, answered Sophia, it is surely strange, I never heard of him before. Indeed, madam, cries Allworthy, it is only the circumstance of his being my nephew to which you are a stranger, and which, to this day, was a secret to me. Mr. Jones, who has long loved you, he, he is my nephew. Mr. Jones, your nephew, sir? cries Sophia. Can it be possible? He is indeed, madam, answered Allworthy. He is my own sister's son. As such I shall always own him. Nor am I ashamed of owning him. I am much more ashamed of my past behaviour to him. But I was as ignorant of his merit as of his birth. Indeed, Miss Western, I have used him cruelly. Indeed I have. Here the good man wiped his eyes, and after a short pause proceeded, I never shall be able to reward him for his sufferings without your assistance. Believe me, most amiable young lady, I must have a great esteem of that offering which I make to your worth. I know he hath been guilty of faults, but there is great goodness of heart at the bottom. Believe me, madam, there is. Here he stopped, seeming to expect an answer, which he presently received from Sophia, after she had a little recovered herself from the hurry of spirits, into which so strange and sudden information had thrown her. I sincerely wish you joy, sir, of a discovery in which you seem to have such satisfaction. I doubt not but you will have all the comfort you can promise yourself from it. 
the young gentleman hath certainly a thousand good qualities, which makes it impossible he should not behave well to, to such an uncle. I hope, madam, said Allworthy, he hath those good qualities which must make him a good husband. He must, I am sure, be of all men most abandoned. If a lady of your merit should condescend, you must pardon me, Mr. Allworthy, answered Sophia. I cannot listen to a proposal of this kind. Mr. Jones, I am convinced, hath much merit, but I shall never receive Mr. Jones as one who is to be my husband. Upon my honour, I never will. Pardon me, madam, cries Allworthy, if I am a little surprised. After what I have heard from Mr. Western, I hope the unhappy young man hath done nothing to forfeit your good opinion, if he had ever the honour to enjoy it. Perhaps he may have been misrepresented to you, as he was to me. The same villainy may have injured him everywhere. He is no murderer, I assure you, as he hath been called. Mr. Allworthy, answered Sophia, I have told you my, res I have told you my resolution. I wonder not at what my father hath told you. But whatever his apprehensions or fears have been, if I know my heart, I have given no occasion for them, since it hath always been a fixed principle with me, never to have married without his consent. This is to think the duty of a child to a parent, and this, I hope, nothing could ever have prevailed with me to swerve from. I do not indeed conceive that the authority of any parent can oblige us to marry in direct opposition to our inclinations. To avoid a force of this kind, which I had reason to suspect, I left my father's house and sought protection elsewhere. This is the truth of my story, and if the world, or my father, carry my intentions any farther, my own conscience will acquit me. I hear you, Miss Western, cries Allworthy, with admiration. I admire the justness of your sentiments, but surely there is more in this. I am cautious of offending you, young lady, but I am to look on all which I have hitherto heard or seen in the dream only? And have you suffered so much cruelty from your father on the account of a man to whom you have been always absolutely indifferent? I beg, Mr. Allworthy, answered Sophia, I will not, Mr. Allworthy, conceal. I will be very sincere with you. I own I had a great opinion of Mr. Jones, I believe. I know I have suffered from my opinion. I have been treated cruelly by my aunt, as well as by my father, but that is now past. I beg I may not be farther pressed, for whatever hath been, my resolution is now fixed. Your nephew, sir, hath many virtues. He hath great virtues, Mr. Allworthy. I question not, but he will do you honour in the world, and make you happy. I wish I could make him so, madam, replied Allworthy, but that I am convinced is only in your power. It is that conviction which hath made me so earnest a solicitor in his favour. You are deceived indeed, sir, you are deceived, said Sophia. I hope not by him. It is sufficient to have deceived me. But Mr. Allworthy, I must insist on being pressed no further on this subject. I should be sorry. Nay, I will not injure him in your favour. I wish Mr. Jones very well. I sincerely wish him well. And I repeat it again to you, whatever demerit he may have to me, I am certain he hath many good qualities. I do not disown my former thoughts, but nothing can ever recall them. At present there is not a man upon earth whom I would more resolutely reject than Mr. Jones, nor would the addresses of Mr. Bilfil himself be less, to, be less agreeable to me. Western had been long impatient for the events of this conference, and was just now arrived at the door to listen, when having heard the last sentiments of his daughter's heart, he lost all temper, 
and bursting open the door in a rage, cried out, "'It is a lie! It is a de-blankton lie! It is all owing to that de-blankton rascal Jones, and if she could get at him, she'd had him any hour of the day.' Here Allworthy interposed, and addressing himself to the squire with some anger in his look, he said, "'Mr. Western, you have not kept your word with me. You promised to abstain from all violence.' "'Why, so I did,' cries Western, as long as it was possible, but to hear a wench telling such confounded lies. Zounds! Doth she think, if she can make vools of other volk, she can make one of me? No, no, I know her better than thee dost. I'm sorry to tell you, sir, answered Allworthy, it doth not appear by your behaviour to this young lady that ye may know her at all. I beg pardon for what I say, but I think our intimacy, your own desires, and the occasion justify me. She is your daughter, Mr. Western, and I think she doth honour to your name. If I was capable of envy, I should sooner envy you on this account than any other man whatever. Odd rabbit it, cries the squire. I wish she was thine, with all my heart. Would soon be glad to be rid of the trouble of her. Indeed, my good friend, answered Allworthy, you yourself are the cause of all the trouble you complain of. Place that confidence in the young lady which she so well deserves, and I am certain you will be the happiest father on earth. I confidence in her, cries the squire. Splod, what confidence can I place in her, when she won't do as I ha' her? Let her give but her consent to marry, as I would ha' her, and I'll place as much confidence in her as wouldst have me. You have no right, neighbour, answered Allworthy, to insist on any such consent. A negative voice your daughter allows you, and God and nature have thought power to allow you no more. A negative voice, cries the squire. Ay, ay, I'll show you what a negative voice I ha. Go along, go into your chamber, go you stubborn. Indeed, Mr. Western, said Mr. Allworthy, indeed you use her cruelly. I cannot bear to see you this. You shall, you must behave to her in a kinder manner. She deserves the best of treatment. Yes, yes, said the squire. I know what she deserves. Now she's gone. I'll show you what she deserves. See here, sir. Here is a letter from my cousin, my lady Belliston, in which she is so kind to give me to understand that the fellow is got out of prison again, and here she advises me to take all the care I can of the wench. Obzookers! Neighbor Allworthy, you don't know what it is to govern a daughter. The squire ended his speech with some compliments to his own sagacity, and then Allworthy, after a formal preface, acquainted him with the whole discovery which he had made concerning Jones, with his anger to Bilfil, and with every particular which hath been disclosed to the reader in the preceding chapters. Men, over-violent in their dispositions, are, for the most part, as changeable in them. No sooner then was Mr. Western informed of Mr. Allworthy's intention to make Jones his heir, than he joined heartily with the uncle in every commendation of the nephew, and became as eager for her marriage with Jones as he had before been to couple her to Bilfil. Here Mr. Allworthy was again forced to interpose, and to relate what had passed between him and Sophia, at which he testified great surprise. The squire was silent a moment, and looked wild with astonishment at this account. At last he cried out, "'Why, what can be the meaning of this, neighbour Allworthy? What a one she was, that I'll be sworn to. A zookers! I have hit at it. As sure as a gun, I have hit o' the very right of it. It's all along a zister.' 
the girl hath got a hankering after this son of a whore of a lord. I found them together at my cousin, my lady Bellaston's. He hath turned the head of her, that's certain, but d blank and me if he shall ha her. I'll had no lords nor courtiers in my family. I worthy now made a long speech, in which he repeated his resolution to avoid all violent measures, and very earnestly recommended gentle methods to Mr. Western, as those by which he might be assured of succeeding best with his daughter. He then took his leave, and returned back to Mrs. Miller, but was forced to comply with the earnest entreaties of the squire, in promising to bring Mr. Jones to visit him that afternoon, where he might, as he said, make all matters up with the young gentleman. At Mr. Allworthy's departure, Western promised to follow his advice in his behaviour to Sophia, saying, I don't know how tis, but deem blank and me, Allworthy, if you don't make me always do just as you please, and yet I have as good an estate as you, and am in the commission of the great peace as well as yourself. End of Book 18, Chapter 7-9 through 9. Read by Jennifer Stearns, Concord, New Hampshire